the wisest man who ever lived outside of Jesus Christ asked a series of pertinent and very powerful questions, I think, for our observation and our well-being. 23rd chapter of Proverbs, he asks a series of five different questions. Beginning, he says, who hath woe? Oh man, life is so hard. I just hate life. Why is, why is it always so difficult? Woe is me. Woe is my life. Woe is my family. Woe is my country. Woe, everything is bad around me. He asked the question, who has, who has woe in their life? He asked another question, really interesting, as a follow-up. He said, not only who has woe, who has sorrow? I'm so depressed. I'm so down. My goodness, every time I wake up in the morning, it just seems like I want to pull the shades down. I don't want to get up. I don't want to go about life. How am I going to cope? I think we heard those words a few times today. How am I going to cope? How am I going to get through this? Oh, my goodness, my life is so bad. I'm so sad. I think I need, to, I think I need something to lift me up. How, how, how am I going to find help? Am I? He asked the question, who has woe in their life? He asked another question, who has sorrow? Who is the person that's always just, you know, they're bummed out and they're depressed and life isn't working for them? He said, who has, that's a great question, who has contentions? Always mixing it up, always fighting. I'm always in the middle of a fight. I'm fighting with my wife. I'm fighting with my friends. I'm fighting with everybody. I'm always ticked off. I'm always angry. I'm always upset. I've got contention everywhere I look, everywhere I go. If I'm not depressed, I'm fighting with somebody. Fist to cuffs. I'm going head to head. Who has contentions? He asked another question. The fourth question he asked, who has babblings? Who has babblings? Well, <laughs> you hear the joke about the, the Mormon and the preacher? <laughs> uh, I forgot the punchline. <laughs> uh, uh, babbling not making it who is the person who is the person that's just babbling what comes out of their mouth doesn't make sense especially during during certain seasons of life uh, especially under certain influences blah how you doing dude dude how's it going dude can you score me dude who has babbling he asked the question and then he asked the question it's really interesting who has redness of eyes I need some Visine. <laughs> oh, man, alive. Babbling, sorrow, contentions, woe, wounds. Who had, this is a good one. He said, who has wounds without cause? How many know what he's talking about? That means when you wake up in the morning and you didn't know what you did the night before and you look on your arm and you got a bunch of bruises and you're like, well, how in the world did these show up? Man, I got a bruise on my face. I don't even remember that happening. Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who's always fighting? Who's just babbling, saying stupid stuff? Stupid stuff that makes no sense. Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? And the wisest man that ever lived shared with us the person that has the wounds and the sorrow and the babbling and the redness of eyes. He said, they that tarry long at the wine, those are the ones that got the redness of eyes. How many know what I'm talking about? Yeah? 
In other words, he's saying, who, who, who is this has this impact on their life? They go, he says, they that go to seek mixed wine. They're going for different 100 proof this, 110 proof that, because you know when I have that, I can drown out my sorrows and I forget about my problems. But you know what? When I wake up the next day, I got more problems than what I had the day before. He answers the questions. He, he said, that's the one that has all these problems. He said, look not thou upon the wine when it is red. Isn't this wisdom? When it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright, and it's in this fermentation process that creates drunkenness. He said, don't, don't look on it, or else you're going to end up with woe and babbling and wounds and contention and sorrow and redness of the eyes. And he says this, he says, at the last it biteth like a serpent. And it gets his fangs into you, and it hurts, and it's pumping its poison throughout your veins. And you're doing things you never thought you were going to do and saying things you never thought you'd say. And, and, and all of your life is surrounded by problems and issues, and they're being exacerbated by this thing called the wine and the mixed drink. And he said it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. It's like this viper that just latches onto your life and mixes you up and messes you up. I'm going to preach for a few moments this morning with the help of God that, listen, alcohol is not your friend. Addictive substances are not your friend. Temporary reprieves uh, from the hurts and the wounds and the injustice of life. Uh, the things that give you a temporary escape, they're not your friend. Because you wake up the next day feeling worse than you were the day before. And saying, if that's my only answer, then i got to go back to the same stinking, lousy, stupid thing uh, that hasn't worked all these years. And unfortunately, it's still not working for me. It bites like a serpent and get its fangs into you and then pumps its poison into your life and impacts and affects negatively every area of your life. It overpromises. It's going to be fun. We're going to party till the sun comes up. It's going to be so fun. And I'm not going to lie. The Bible does tell. That's good when a preacher says he ain't going to lie. I'm not going to lie. The Bible does say that the pleasures of sin are for a season. There's obviously a degree of fun to it or people wouldn't do it. Somebody say amen. That's full disclosure. There's a little bit of fun, but it doesn't tell the story of the end result that after you've had that little bit of fun, after you've had that night on the, on the town, after you've had that temporary high, you have the, the crashing, crushing low that follows it that's just begging you to experience another high again. And it's a roller coaster that's destructive. And, and Solomon in his wisdom says it's just like a serpent that gets its fangs into you and pumps its poison into your life he says there's a lot of consequences of that kind of a lifestyle he says thine eyes shall behold strange women I got children with seven different daddies I got or mommies strange women like who are you Wake up the next day in all kinds of mess, all kinds of immoral relationships. 
The Bible says, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. And then coming out of the mouth is all this perversity and perversion and this mess. And what's it all following? It's following this thing called alcohol. That's what he said. He says, this is really interesting. He gives us a, a metaphor. He gives us a word picture. In 34, he said, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea. Has anybody ever thought about this verse? He said, the person that stays long at the wine, that drinks that, that, that mixed drink, he said, they're like the person that lies down in the midst of the sea. What's that? Have you ever been out on a boat? He says, the person that stays long at the wine, they're just like, That's what happens. You spend too much nipping this, toking this, shooting this, and your life lacks all sense of stability. You're like the person that lies down in the midst of the sea or he that lieth down on the top of a mast, the top of the mast of a ship. You climb up to the top, way back up into that crow's nest, right? And as the sea is moving, you're up in that crow's nest and, it's, and the ship is bobbing. And he said, if you look at someone that's drunk, that's kind of what they're like. They got no firm footing under their feet. Everything about them, their relationships, their life, their family, their job, everything is upside down, topsy-turvy. He says in 35, they have stricken me and thou shalt say, I was not sick. They have beaten me, notice what he said, and I felt it not. I don't even remember when that happened. I don't know why I have this lump on my head. I don't know why, where did all this come from? I don't even know when this happened because it happened when we were under the influence of something that was not good. Oh, praise God. And I'm preaching against it this morning. In fact, let me go a step further. Alcohol is never gonna be your friend. Addictions are never gonna be your friend. I had somebody actually text me yesterday. I invited them to this. Sir, I just, all I did was invite them to this. That's all I did. I just said, so Friday, Sunday, tomorrow, so-and-so. And they texted back and they said, well, <clears throat> it's recre recreational use. This is what their response was. Recreational use is legal. And they said, it comes from the ground, pastor. It comes from the dirt. Oh, so because it's legal that, you know, adultery is legal. You can legally commit adultery and not go to prison for it, but can I tell you something this morning? God doesn't like it. It's against the Ten Commandments because God knows better even than the laws of man know. Amen. And then he made this statement, the Proverbs write is so wise that he was. When shall I awake? He said, when I wake in the morning, he said, I will seek it yet again. He said, when I get up, I'm going to rinse and repeat. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to go back to the redness of eyes. He said, I'm going to go back like the person that's on the top of a mast. I'm going to wake up with bruises in my life. And, and I think the Proverbs writer is, is accurately describing what the addicted life is all about. He said, you get up and then you just seek it again. It's, I'm, I'm earning a living so that I can get enough money so that I can burn it all up on the weeknights and on the weekend. I'm just getting enough money so that I can just get stoned again, get high again, get drunk again, and wash away all of the mess of my life. Addictions, how does it start? It begins with something that gets a hook inside of your life. It gets a hook in you. It's pornography, it's the first view. It's exhilarating. 
It's, it's the theft that happens for the first time. It's the first popping of the pills and, and the feeling that comes with that. It gets a hook in you. And then all of a sudden, it's, it's not a once a week thing. It's, it's a couple times a week. And then after it's a couple, once that thing's got a hook in you, then it becomes a daily thing. Then it becomes just a regular part of everyday life. This is what I do. When I go to bed at night, I pour myself a drink. This is what I do. This, it becomes this regular way of life. And then all of a sudden, life becomes about arranging my life around my addiction. How can I get it score again? How can I get another hit? How can I get another high? I never will forget visiting with him in Northland Counseling. I sat across the table from him as we talked about his life. We talked about his soul. And Tom, I won't tell you his last name, but Tom told me, he said, he said I, I want my wife back. I want my marriage back, he said. He said, I want my family back. And I said, well, Tom, and he was, he was a pretty big, burly, strong kind of a guy. His thing at this point, there have been numbers of addictions. Some of you remember the, the smoke shop in town. They used to sell that stuff called Spice. Nasty, nasty stuff. I don't need, I, I, it's not even really, it's not supposed to be a dry. I think it's something you're supposed to just burn. Well, he's smoking it. And, and when he would smoke it, he would go out of his mind. And he's in the process of losing his wife. He's in the process of losing his job. He was in the process of losing everything. This thing had a hook into him. And I said, Tom, what you've got to realize is that stuff you've been smoking, that stuff you've been looking forward to, that stuff that you've been uh, circling your life around he I told him I said that stuff is like a murderer that's knocking at the front door of your house that stuff is like a rapist that's at the front door of your house wanting to kill your wife and kill your children that thing is not your friend that thing is not your friend alcohol ain't your friend drugs ain't your friend pills ain't your friend that thing isn't your friend what that's trying to do is take away everything that you have and when it's done with you it will take away your life. He was, my point being that you can't look at that as something that's friendly. You can't look at that as something that, oh, I just want to have. You have to look at that thing as the greatest enemy that you've ever had in your life because it wants to take everything good, everything that is right, everything that is godly, and everything that is holy. It wants to steal, pilfer, and destroy and take out of your life. He was depressed. I would call it this morning a place of resignation. You say, what is addiction, pastor? I believe addiction is a place of resignation. It's a place of resigning oneself, a strange, strange place when the human will just gives up. When the human will just says, I guess this is just what I'm going to be. It's a place where present reality becomes future destiny. Well, I guess this is what I will always be. That's the terrible thing about addiction. Addiction has a sense of resignation. It's not just anymore what I do. It's not just the fact that I drink alcohol. It's not just the fact that, that I pop some pills. It, it becomes integral to who the person is. It becomes a physical need. It becomes an emotional need. It becomes something that grabs a hold of them in the form of a habit. And at the end of the day, it has a sense of resignation in it. It says, I just can't help this anymore, I guess. This just is who I am. This is not only what I do, but this is who I am. 
And I just wonder how many addicted people just finally give up on life. They resign themselves to a life of addiction and they say, I guess this is just what I've always done. It's what I've always been. I've been this for five years. I've been this for 10 years. I've been this my whole life. I don't just drink alcohol. I am an alcoholic. I don't just do drugs. I am a drug addict. I have come to preach to this church on this Sunday morning that there is a better way. I come to preach this morning to that lie of resignation that says, what you've always been, you're always going to be. I've come to rise on this Sunday morning to say, in response to all the testimonies that have already been shared, the proof is already in the pudding that we've got a God that is able to lift someone out of a sense of resignation. The idea that you can never be different is a lie from the pit of hell. The idea that you will always be what you've always been is not the truth. There is a God that can pick you up, that can free you and deliver you from the pain of your past and the addictions of your life. There is a God. There is an answer. There is someone that can help you and deliver you and change your life forever. Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, the devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost here today. I believe there's some people that are going to recognize in their spirit that it's time for them to rise up and say, I'm not biting the bait anymore. Come on. I'm not taking the bait anymore. In Jesus' name, the truth is, he that the Son has made free is free indeed. Amen. The devil has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. I spent five minutes talking about the bad news of addiction. I need to give equal air and equal time to the good news of deliverance. Addiction is bad, but Jesus is good. Addiction will tear you apart, but Jesus will put your life back together again. Addiction will cause you to lose everything you've ever had, but Jesus will add back everything that's been taken from you. Jesus will trump every bad thing the enemy's ever done in your life and Replace it with joy and peace and strength and deliverance because that's the kind of God that he is. Oh, praise God. In fact, in fact, I'll take the numbers that come out of treatment and compare them to the numbers that come out of water baptism and a Holy Ghost anointed altar, and I'll compare them any day of the week. Because frankly, programs, and I'm not spitting nor casting, throwing shade on the programs, I'm just saying they don't fix the internal need that's in mankind. The bigger question is, why do people use? Why do people drink? I think we heard it over and over again out of the testimonies today, coping mechanisms. I don't know how to deal with my brokenness. I don't know how to deal with my PTSD. I don't know how to deal with my broken life and my broken family. I don't know how to fix this. And you run to the wrong thing. I am preaching this morning that you can run to the right thing that will work in your life forever. 
You won't have to go through the program 23 times, have the certificates on the wall and go back to the program and stand up in front of the group and say, hi, my name is Ron Lichtel. I, I am an alcoholic. No, you, we stand in church and say, hi, my name is Ron Lichtel. I've been set free by the power of God. I've been born again of the water and the spirit. I've been filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm not what I used to be. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are, are made new. That's what I used to be. That's not what I am. Present tense right here, right now. I am forgiven. I am a child of Jesus. I'm no longer an addict anymore. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Corey made the statement, and I quote, he said, when I wasn't working, he said, I was drinking. That's resignation. That's a spirit of resignation. That's saying, I guess this is what I've always been. That's called being stuck. <laughs> That's called being bound. That's called being chained up. That's called being trapped. And the wise man in Proverbs 23, after giving the answer to the, to the five woes, to the five, this is what happens. He says, when he ends it, he said, and I will seek it yet again. That is a sense of resignation. I just, and you know what? When it's all said and done, I'm going to go right back to it. I'm here to testify that God is able. And we've got a great crowd of witnesses here this morning. And say that God is able. And furthermore, that the Lord can deliver you from a sense of mental resignation. This is what I'm always going to be. In fact, I really want to get at the heart of it this morning. That's my message this morning. We have got to go from resignation to resistance. We got to move from the idea of resignation. This is what it's always going to be. I read a very interesting thing in this, this past week. It's an essay that was written by a man that was executed in World War II. He was a French, he was a part of the French resistance. He was a writer by the name of Alex Bloch. He was a part of the, the intellectuals of France. And the amazing thing that when France folded in World War II, there's some very interesting things about the history behind that. France had a superior army. France had a superior air force. Compared to the German Wehrmacht, compared to their adversaries, they, were, they had greater uh, number of soldiers, uh, they had greater number of tanks, uh, they had greater number of airplanes. And it, it seemed to be their folding to the enemy was unthinkable in many ways, but I guess in some ways it was understandable. Mark Bloch in his essay called Strange Defeat unfortunately was executed 11 days before the, their liberation. He was a part of the academic resistance. He tried to explain what was happening in France between May the 10th and June the 26th. This is the same French army that had stopped the Germans at Verdun in World War I. They were, this was the France that was the bulwark of the West. They had the ability to call up three and a half million people. This was the France that had better tanks. They had better airplanes. They had a, a bigger army with the British Expeditionary Forces. They should have held out. They could have held out, but they collapsed, as history shows us, in six short weeks. You say, why? Superior forces, greater power, greater army. They had everything that was, that was in their favor to allow them to defeat the enemy. And Mark Bloch, in his essay, just short days before he is executed, he comes to the summary of the reason why the French nation capitulated to the enemy. And he had one word that described it, and that single word that described it was the word 
resignation. They just gave up. They were wore out. No one in France wanted to, to relitigate another world war. They just didn't have the stomach for it. They'd been through World War I. They'd been through the trench warfare. They didn't want to have to go through it again. They didn't want to have to fight the enemy again. Unfortunately, they had an enemy that lost World War I that did have the diligence uh, that they weren't willing to be resigned, and they had an enemy that was going to fight them with everything that they had. Why was it that the French were defeated? The French were defeated because they just didn't want to fight. They just didn't want to go through it once again. The losers wanted to fight, but the winners lost their fight. They just gave up. It's called the quits. They just quit the battle. They just stopped the fight. There's many other things that led into it, a lack of leadership, a lack of vision, a lack of optimism, a lack of promise, and they unfortunately were just tired. And they resigned themselves to the fate, I guess we're just going to serve the enemy. I have come to preach to this church that whatever happens in your life, don't you dare ever give up. Don't ever give up. Resignation is your enemy. The idea that this is always going to be what it's always been. The idea that I'm tied up, that I'm bound, that there is no hope. The idea that addiction preaches to the lost soul, that you are going to be what you've always been. There is no hope for you. You're always, your daddy was an alcoholic. Your granddaddy was an alcoholic. Your mama had mental problems. Your grandma had mental problems. I come to preach here this morning that we can never give up because we've got a God that's on our side and a God that has promised us conquest and victory and, 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 and we can with the help of God be better and we can with the help of God clean up and we can with the help of God get rid of some things in our life and we can with the help of God clear out our medicine cabinet and we can with the help of God empty the fists of vodka into the sink and we can with the help of God get rid of the bag of marijuana that's, that's in between uh, amen, underneath our bed hiding somewhere that we can get rid of it because we've got a God that's on our side. We've got a God that's going to help us and we've got to learn how to rise up again and learn how to fight again and get our fight back and get our soul back and get our heart back and get back in the ring and start fighting again. It's resignation is a spirit of just giving up. Just giving up. Just this, I guess, this is just going to be the way that it is. I am preaching this morning that you've got to move from a place of resignation to a place of resistance. Mm, Holy Ghost, help us here today. That means at some point in your life, you've got to look at your life and say, I'm not willing to be this anymore, JP. You got to look at your life and say, at some point, I'm not willing to just be halfway in church and halfway out of church. Christy, you got it right. You were baptized and then played around and dabbled around in the world for a while and tried straddling both worlds. And guess what? It didn't work. 
But there came a day in Christy's life when she said, I'm getting off the fence. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to get in the church. I'm going to get in the altars. I'm going to get in righteousness. I'm going to get in holiness. I'm going to get into prayer. I'm going to commit my life to God. And she moved from resignation because you heard her testimony. That's what she had always been. She moved from that to a place of resistance that says, with the help of God, I will overcome by the blood of Jesus. Jesus, I shall overcome through the help of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to beat this thing with my church family backing me. I'm going to beat this thing with the help of God. I'm not resigning myself to this addiction any longer. That porn is not going to have its grip on my life anymore. Come on, those pills are not going to have a grip on my life anymore. Out of control anger is not going to have its place in my life anymore. I may have been a thief and a cheat all of my life, but there comes a point in time with the help of God that I say, no, it's time for there to be a turnaround. At some point, I've got to say no to the world, no to the devil, and no to the flesh. This is a new day that I'm going to live for God. And if God be for me, who can be against me? Praise God. Praise God. Let me give you some scripture here this morning. James 4 and 7. The Bible says, very, very important, James 4 and 7. Here's your key to sobriety. James 4 and 7, key to sobriety. Submit, point number one. James says, submit yourself, therefore, to God. Can I tell you something? I don't mean to offend you but you're not that smart. So I came to church to be offended. You're not that smart. How good has your life turned out you trying to navigate your life? Let me tell you what, there is a God that's really, really smart. There's a God that's really, really good. There's a God that's really, really powerful. That's why the first thing that you can do is get underneath the authority of God. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. He's the boss, I'm the apostos. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the King of Kings. Not my will, his will. Not what I want, what he wants. Not my views and my opinions, because your opinion, five bucks will buy you a, a coffee at Starbucks. That's about it. But we're talking about his view, his opinion, his word, his thoughts, uh, what God wants out of my, I'm going to submit myself, I'm going to get underneath uh, of the lordship of Jesus Christ. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Are you Ready? Once you have submitted unto God and you say, Lord, you're my leader, you're my king, you're my God, I repent. I turn from sin, Satan, and self. And Lord, I turn toward you. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Step number two, you stage a resistance. Because the Bible says, submit yourself, therefore, to God, number one. Number two, he said, resist the devil. That means when the devil comes knocking on your door, hey, Bubba Lou, why don't we go out and have a good time? When he comes knocking on your door, you know what you do? You slam the door in his face and say, no, thank you. I have no interest. When the temptation comes knocking on the door, you say this two-letter word of victory. The two-letter word of victory is no. No. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. No. 
I ain't taking that drink. No, I'm not going there. No, I'm not being that. Nope, I'm not going to be a part of that any longer. Somebody said amen. Amen. Resist the devil, and then the Bible says he is going to duck tail and run. He will flee from you. There's one thing that every testimony in this building proves to all of us this morning is that every one of these testimonies at some point in their life, they said, no, I'm not doing that anymore. With the help of God, I'm not going that route anymore. That may have been what I was, but that's not going to be what I am, and it's not going to be what my future is going to be. That's not what my children are going to have. That's not what my children are going to experience. Uh, I say no in Jesus' name. I'm submitting myself, therefore, to God. I am resisting the devil. I am not going to be resigned to this anymore. I'm going to admit it, then I'm going to quit it. In Jesus' name, I want to give you this morning five resistance builders. So if you're going to go from resignation to to resistance, what are some things that will build resistance in my life? I'm going to give you five resistance builders this morning. If you're taking notes, point number one, drunk people lose. Stop losing. (laughs) Isn't that good advice? And you you know when I say drunk, I mean all forms of addictions, all addictions. Addicted people lose. Stop losing. What do you say you start winning? I don't want to keep losing in life. I want to start winning in life. That's why 1 Peter 5 and 8, I think it's been shared here today already. Be sober. That's a surprising scripture for Sobriety Sunday, huh? Be sober. What does that mean? That means clear-headed. That means not drunk. It means to curb the controlling influence of inordinate emotions or desires and therefore to become a reasonable person because drunk people are unreasonable. Oh, yeah. Be sober, he said. Be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion, walking about seeking whom he may devour. And then I like the follow-up on this. Verse number 9, the same point. Whom resist steadfast in the faith. you got to stage a resistance. Then you've got to resist him in the faith. When he is tempting you to give up sobriety, that's when you say, I've got to be sober because I'm in the fight of my life right now. I'm in a spiritual battle right now. I'm facing off against the enemy of my soul, and I can't win against the enemy of my soul being drunk and addicted. I mean, who wants to fight a great big enemy drunk? I'll take you out. You ain't taking a 90-pound little girl out. You ain't taking nobody out when you're drunk. That's why I said be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith. I just want to remind every saint of God here this morning, and I'm not going to re-preach last week. Amen. But there's a target on every one of you, and you need to know it. There's a target that's been put on you. There's a target, and Satan is after you. He's after you. 
He's after everything that's good and righteous and holy in your life. He wants to take it from you. He wants to take everything that's good in your life. He wants to take everything that's healthy. He wants to take your family. He, he wants to take your job. He wants to take your future. And, but ultimately, he wants to take your soul, and he wants to take your eternity. And that's why you cannot defeat him because he is a fierce enemy. You can't defeat him on the worst day of your life drunk. You can't defeat him with your, with, with your legs like spaghetti. You've got to Alex, you got to get in a fighting position because you're in the army now. You're in the Air Force now. If you're going to win the battle, you've got to set yourself like you are a soldier. And the point here this morning, you don't fight drunk. You fight sober. You don't raise your kids drunk. You raise your kids sober. You don't make a life drunk, you make a life sober. You don't make a career drunk, you make a career sober. You don't make something out of yourself drunk, you make something out of yourself sober. Praise God, praise God. Sober people can win, drunk people lose. I'm saying stop losing. Praise God. Point number two, resistance builders. Surround yourself with sober people. That's really great advice here this morning. You say, well, all my friends use. You might need some new friends. I don't mean that mean. I don't mean that. I'm not saying with the sense of arrogant superiority. I'm not saying that your nose is so high up in the air that if it rains, you drown. I'm not saying that you become an arrogant. I, I, all I'm saying is, listen, you can't be sober and run with drunk people. You can't be sober and drug-free and run with addicts. You can't spend your time and your life with people that are in the thing that you're fighting every day of your life. Praise God. Surround yourself with sober people. Amen. Praise God. Proverbs 23, I'll reiterate the 23rd chapter in verse number 20. Listen to what the Proverbs writer says again. Woe He says, all the woes. Those that, that are at the wine, the mixed wine, he says. Proverbs 23 and 20, same chapter. Verse 20. Be not among wine bibbers. That's a really common 21st century American word. Wine bibbers. Don't hang out with wine. What is a wine bibber? A wine bibber is someone that's addicted to wine. That's a wine bibber. So you just learn a new word. Wine bibber. He said, be not among those that are addicted to wine. He said, don't be among those that are rioters, riotous eaters of flesh. He said, for the drunkard and the glutton shall burn up all their money at the bar. Shall come to poverty. You're like, I work all this. Man, I, I work so hard. I have so much money. But at the end of the week, I got nothing left. Gee, I wonder why that is. He said, he said, if you're hanging with them, and he said, in drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. He said, don't be among them. Because listen, you can't be among that stuff and then be free from that stuff at the same time. You can't be around the things that you are highly, highly tempted by that is the thing that's trying to pull your soul down to hell and continue to hang around it and smell the smell. And be around the, what was it you called it again? The, the life, the, the hustle. You can't, if you're around the hustle, you're going to want to be in the hustle. That's why you got to get away from the hustle. 
That's why you get away from the trap house. That's why there's some places you don't go anymore. There's some doors you don't darken. There are some places you don't go anymore because I don't want to go back to what I used to be. I don't want to go back to the same person that I used to be. If I run with eagles, I'm going to be an eagle. If I run with turkeys, I'm going to be a turkey. And I don't want to be a turkey. I want to be an eagle. Praise God. Because you will become your friend group. You will become your friend group. I'm not saying it's a matter of arrogance. They need Jesus. Let me tell you what, the way that they're going to get Jesus is by you separating from them and not becoming like them. If you go back into your addictions, it's not going to help them. But, oh, you can get on the solid rock, Christ Jesus. You can get in the church. You can get among those that are going to celebrate with you and help you and be your support group. And then with the help of God, you can reach them one at a time and bring them into your friend group and say, hey, why don't you come to, why don't you come to my church? You talk about a party. Ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party, and a Holy Ghost party don't stop. Amen. It's called the HG. You can have some HG. It's called the Holy Ghost. And when you get the Holy Ghost, you'll wake up the next morning. You won't regret what you did the night before. When you get the Holy Ghost, you'll wake up the next day testifying about how good God is. You don't lose your mind, you get your mind. When you show up at work, you don't talk about the stupid things you don't even know that you did. You talk about what you did when you were in your right mind. Because God gives you your mind back. You become like your friend group. That's right. I thank God for the church of the living God. And I'll just tell you, this is just a little side right here. This, this group right here, this is not a flawless group, but this is a group of people that love Jesus. And they'll, they'll love you, and they'll help you, and they'll pray with you, and they'll help pull you up out of that. And they'll be your friend until the end, because that's what the body of Christ does. Praise God. Point number three is very, very important. And some of you are going to think I'm really extreme when I say this, but I'm in the good book. I'm in the Bible. That point is adopt a zero tolerance policy. Zero. Zero tolerance policy. Zero. Let me give you some Bible here just so you know that I'm being honest. Ephesians 5 and 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness. Are you ready? Let it not once be named, let it be once, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. He said not once. You say, how do you square that circle? Because there are people that are in the church that sometimes get messed up. He's saying here the ideal is not the ideal of making excuses for it and saying things like this that are absolutely false doctrine. We're all just sinners. We, we just can't help ourselves. That's just what we do. We're just, we're just all sinners. Can I tell you something this morning? If you've been born again of the water and the spirit, you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, you are no longer a sinner. You are a saint of the living God. You've got the power of God in your life. You've got the blood of Jesus in your life. You've been washed. You've been cleansed. You've been set free by the power of God. You're no longer what you used to be. God has given you a brand new, fresh start in life. Uh, you are not what you used to be. You are no longer a sinner. You are a saint of God. And the position 
position that we take as a saint of God is I ain't ever going back to that. Never, ever, never, never, ever, never, 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 ever, never, never, never. I ain't going back to drink. I'm not giving myself a little backdoor plan because I can't help myself. I don't have a little stash sitting somewhere for a rainy day. I don't have a little bit of a fifth sitting somewhere underneath that nobody else knows about. No, sir. I've got a zero tolerance policy. Let it not once be named among you. That ought to be the will of God in the church. That the church takes a positive and powerful stance for spiritual sobriety. Let it not once be named among you. I'm going to tell you, you don't have to go back to drugs. I'm telling you, you don't have to. And some of you are saying, well, yeah, some do. Yes, some do. Some make terrible mistakes in their life. But I'm saying, you don't have to. Furthermore, you and I don't have any excuse about it. If we've been born again, we've got the power of God, the seed of God within us uh, that is powerful enough uh, to keep us from the addictions in our life. Come on, somebody. I want to hear a great big hearty amen from the entire church of the living God. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Point number four, give your life to Jesus because Jesus will help you. First Corinthians six and nine, know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. If you got a Bible, you're gonna want to underline that. Don't let any deceiver trick you. Don't let any lying radio preacher lie to you. Don't you let any false doctrine, once saved, always saved, bunch of mess fill your head. Don't you let the mercy, your perceived idea of the mercy of God become an excuse that you think that God is so full of a sloppy agape that he will take any life any way. It does not work that way. Not everybody's going to heaven. I don't say that with... With, with any kind of, of joy at all. I'm saying that as a matter of Bible truth. Bible truth is the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Interestingly, he follows that with a statement, be not deceived. Do you get it? Put, put that thinking hat on this. Don't be deceived. Because, why? Because deception is going to come to people telling them that you can live any way that you want to live and God is so full of love, love, love. Listen, I'm a love preacher. I preach the love of God. But you have got to balance, uh, behold, the goodness uh, and the severity of God. The goodness and the severity of God. God's not dumb. God doesn't give us a license to sin. I'm born again. Oh, I guess I just, I'm going to sin. Not if you're born again. The power of God will keep you from sin. That's why he said, he said here, know ye not the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. If I'm sinning, there should be conviction in my life. I have not preached that long. I said, there's, if a person sins, there should be conviction in their life. If a person sins, there should be a godly sorrow that says, I can't do this. This isn't right by God. God is displeased with this. That will keep you from sin. A laissez-faire attitude towards sin lends itself to sin. Oh, it's no big deal. It's no big deal, man. We all do it, you know. <laughs> we all do it. No, that's not what he says. Be not deceived. Listen, neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers nor effeminate. Isn't that interesting? That's in there. 
That's abusers of themselves of mankind. He's talking about homosexual behavior. It is listed in there, 21st century America. Homosexual behavior is listed in there. Now, it's listed along with adultery and it's listed along with other sins, but it is one of the sins that is listed. Contrary to the world that says, well, if you just love somebody, if you just ever, boys can love boys and girls can love girls. Not according to God's word, they can't. I mean, they can, but not be accepted by God. It says it's wrong. It's like adultery is wrong. All sexual sins are wrong. Am I okay? Am I in the book? He said, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards. Drunkards, that's in there. Nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. He said, those folks, they're not going to heaven. They're not going to heaven. Oh, God, but thank God the Bible doesn't just end there. Thank God it doesn't just end right there. The next verse says, and such were, past tense, such were some of you. In the church, there were former homosexuals, there were former drunks, there were former thieves, there were former fornicators, there were former womanizers, there were former idolaters, there were former people that had all kinds of mess and junk in their life. But he said, such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. Some of you that may have been wondering, why do they sing so many songs about Jesus this morning? We sang about Jesus. Didn't we sing about Jesus a lot? Let me tell you why we sung about Jesus. We sung about Jesus. Because Jesus is the one. That's what we used to be. But Jesus cleaned us up. Jesus washed us in the waters of repentance and in the waters of water baptism. He washed us in baptism. We are justified. That's just as if I had never done it. I have been declared righteous by the blood of the Lamb. You're looking at a guy that I'm not what I used to be. Don't hold my past against me because I'm a new creature in Christ. I've been born again. I got the Holy Ghost. I used to be a drunk, but I'm not a drunk anymore. I used to be a stoner, but I'm not a stoner anymore because Jesus set me free. Jesus cleansed my life. Jesus made me whole. Jesus gave me the Holy Ghost. And I want you to know that if God did that for all of these folks that had testimonies this morning, he'll do it for you. My final point of resistance is this, and this is an important scripture. You're going to want to get this in your spiritual gizzard, in your guts, okay? Don't let anything control you. I'm going to give you a verse for it. He said, 1 Corinthians 6 and 12, all things are lawful unto me. Man, I wish I had time for a Bible study. <laughs> all things are lawful other than the things that are unlawful. I'll let you think about that for a little while. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but notice what he says. But I will not be brought under the power of any. I will not be brought under the power of any. He's saying, I'm not going to let anything control my life other than Jesus. I don't care what it is. I feel like challenging the church. We ought to, we ought to take a good hard look at our phones now and then. <laughs> he said, oh, that one hurt. Why would you have to bring that up? You keep talking about those drunks. Don't talk about my phone. I'm talking about it because it's good for us. In the moment that I say, I can't live without that. In the moment that if somebody were to dare to take that out of my life, I'd say, well, 
No, you don't. You don't tell. No, because I, I got to have that. I got to have that every, listen, there's only a couple things that you really got to have. You know, the few things you got to have air. That's what you got to have. You got to have air. Because if you didn't know this, if you don't have air, you can't breathe. And if you can't breathe, you die. You got to have air. Let me tell you what you got to have. You got to have Jesus in your life. You got to have Jesus. That's what I've got to have. And I don't want anything else to control me. I don't want anger to control me. I don't want bitterness to control me. I want unforgiveness. I don't want any addictive properties. I don't want anything in my life. I don't want swear words. Uh, say, man, I've always talked like that my whole life. I'm a profane person. I've always been profane. Well, you don't have to be with the help of God. Don't be brought under the power of any in the name of Jesus. Don't ever quit the fight. My final point, stand together with me as our music comes. In the name of Jesus, resignation, that's addiction. Addiction is resignation. The way you fight resignation is with resistance. Resistance, nope, not anymore. Nope, I'm not, I'm not going to be that, do that, not anymore. Nope. Let me tell you the good news here this morning. You can go from resistance to resilience. Resilience. I'm looking at a whole bunch of people on this Sunday morning. They're not losing anymore. They're winning. I'm looking at a church full of people. I don't, man, I heard, I heard these testimonies and there's so many more that could be shared. But I heard out of these testimonies, I didn't hear out of these testimonies like, oh, I'm barely making it. Just kind of getting by. I can't hardly. We've just been hanging on by a string and a thread. Tell you what I'm hearing. I'm hearing people saying, look at my family. Look at my marriage. Look at, look at my life. Because let me tell you something about Jesus. You can get some stuff back. Micah 7 and 8, he said, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. You start getting stuff back. Everything the enemy took from you, guess what? You start living for God, you start getting it back. You get your life back. You get your job back. <laughs> uh, some of you were unemployable. Amen. You get your driver's license back. Yes. I can tell you a story. There's so many stories in this room here this morning. One guy in our church said, I've, I've driven without a license for like 15 years. You, do, you don't get it. I can't get my license back. I said, there's a difference. Those 15 years, you weren't serving God. But you know what? You're serving God now. You're serving the Lord. I said, give it one more try. We prayed. He went back. He gave it another try. And what do you know? He got his license back. Get your license back. You can get your license back. Let me tell you, you can get your mind back. You can get your heart back. You can get your, your morality back. You can get your well-being back. You can get your family back. There's restoration in Jesus Christ. And what I am preaching here this morning is a resilient life in Jesus. I'm preaching a winning life in Jesus. Uh, and every one of these testimonies and so many more in this building, let me tell you what we got. We got a church of soldiers. Soldiers. And if you're a guest here this morning, 
This is like, this is like church on steroids, I know. You're like, whoa, man, I feel like it's like nuclear around this place. And let me tell you why. God's powerful. And he delivers people powerfully. We're not the same. We're not what we used to be. We are now resilient. You know what that means? The word resilient means to bounce back. To bounce back. You know, where life used to get us down and hold us down and pull us down and, and the things that used to throw us into the mully grubs that we could never get back up again and we'd stay down and we'd self-medicate and self-barbituate and we'd mess ourselves up in the process. What we learn now is we go back to the source. We go back to God. We go back to church. We go back to the family of God. We go back to group. We go back to prayer. And now we, I wish I had a big bouncy ball. We bounce back. We don't get held down. We bounce back. Praise God. Can we lift our hands to the Lord and thank God for what he has done? Praise God. Praise God. Lord, we give you praise this morning, thanksgiving for your power. We thank you for what you've done. We give you praise and worship and thanksgiving today in the name of Jesus.